Hello and welcome to the Life is Story podcast. I'm Josh Olds. Uh, this is our first episode post-launch week. So I want to thank all of you listeners uh, who, who signed up, who subscribed, who made all of this just such a resounding success. I'm actually recording this before we do this, so I'm hoping it's going to be a resounding success. I'm counting on you guys to make it so. Uh, we're going to be here every Monday chatting with your favorite authors about their latest books about the art of story. And today, you have the distinct honor of listening in to my conversation with New York Times bestselling novelist Tosca Lee. Uh, Tosca, I, I apologize for the lengthy intro, so welcome to the program. <laughs> it's so good to be back, and I'm so glad the Life of Story podcast is back, Josh. Yeah, so. we are, we are really, really excited about it. This is one of the things that I miss the most from my time away, and it's, just, it's so great to get back into it. Um, we're not here to talk about me. We're here to talk about you. Uh, you have oh. a new book. You have a new book coming out. Uh, it mm-hmm. is the second book. This is book two in the series. Um, the mm-hmm. book's called A Single Light. So kind of give me your elevator pitch for this novel. What is it all about? So A Single Light is, a, is the sequel to The Line Between, which is my novel that came out earlier this year at the end of January. And so the two books basically are the story of a young woman named Winter Roth. And at the beginning of, of the, the first book, she is getting ousted from a doomsday cult, the, the place that she's effectively grown up in, and she spent the last 15 years of her life. And so she's getting ready to start over in a, a secular world that she's been taught to regard as evil. And so just as she's starting to make her way, uh, in the outside world, very awkwardly, it's very difficult for her, um, a pandemic has begun, and it came earlier um, in that same year out of the melting permafrost in Alaska, and it has since worked its way down through the Pacific Northwest and is now sweeping across the nation. And so as this p- pandemic begins to take hold to winter, it looks a lot like the apocalypse that she's always been taught to expect was coming and as chaos breaks out and there's a cyber attack on the electrical grid and all this stuff happens, it turns into a run-for-your-life adventure. Um, but not just that. Winter also finds herself in a position to actually um, be of service uh, to a nation that really needs her. So um, I can't say too much more than that, But except that a single light takes up exactly right where book one leaves off. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, yeah. Yeah, so it's really hard to talk about a sequel um, and not just give away everything that happens in the first book. Um, I felt that way in writing the review as well. It's sort of like, well, I'll just tell you where we start. Um, I, I felt in a lot of ways when I was when I was reading A Single Light that, of course, I, I had I had read the line between as well. But you can mm-hmm. almost read A Single Light as a standalone novel, and you mm-hmm. won't be you won't be entirely lost. You're gonna miss out on some of the depth of the story because you're not mm-hmm. going to really understand winter's background um yeah. but but you you really could pick up book two and read it and say oh that was a really good story i need to go back to book one and learn more uh was that really intentional on your part when you were writing that to kind of have that feeling you know i i wanted it to be such that you wouldn't be too lost that said i i like it you know i, I personally like to read books in order so i mm. i hope that 
given the opportunity that people would. But that said, there are reviewers who have received early copies and they hadn't read the first book. And, and they've said in their reviews they weren't too lost and it was you know easy to kind of move into that world. So I am happy, happy for that. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. mm-hmm. uh, you, you did the same kind of, of two-part novel with Progeny and Firstborn. Now, I think those are a little more intimately connected. You kind of have to know this the story and progeny to, to understand Firstborn, I think, more so than I this think series. I think more so, yeah. I, definitely so. And I ended the first book on a, a cliffhanger. Right, so yeah. it's, I'm, I'm sorry, everybody's <laughs> mad at me. And, you know, those two books were supposed to come out much closer together, like mm-hmm. within months, and then this kind of seismic shift in my publishing house happened, and so the second book got delayed for over a year, and that is not how it was intended mm-hmm. to happen. Just so. left this on that cliff for I know, forever. I'm sorry. <laughs> uh, I, I was wanting to know, do you have a specific tactic in, in writing sort of the uh, like duology, like a two-book series, um, or is that just the way the writing has gone with these particular stories? Well, you know... Um, it kind of comes down to a couple things. Um, I like the two books just because, you know, historically speaking, when you look at, at a series with more than two, you can watch uh, reader involvement drop off from book to book. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, when you've only got the two, then you're not really like dropping off from installment to installment. The other thing is, you know, I have to look at the number of books I have contracted with a certain publisher. So right. that is a consideration. And, you know, with these, I've, I had one book left, so could I still do a third book and do it elsewhere or self-publish it? I definitely could, and I'm, I'm open to that if the need should ever arise. But for now, I'm, I'm happy with where the story ended yeah. on the second book. Yeah. yeah. I remember when I, when I was reading um, A Single Light, there's really, you can divide... And I want to be careful about what I say because I don't want to spoil it or even kind of get into any part of like the middle of the book. Uh, but you can really divide the book into two locations. I'll just leave yeah. it at that. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I really found myself wishing, like, man, I wish we had more time uh, in this mm-hmm. first location. And I'll go ahead and say what that is because that's that's sort of where we mm-hmm. start. But, you know, they're in an underground bunker because... They're, you know, right. hiding. Uh, they're, they're, they're trying to, to wait out um, this sort of apocalyptic plague uh, that, that's, mm-hmm. that's come over. Um, and and I, I, really, I really like that aspect of that. Uh, the, the, the phrase that comes to mind is like closed room mystery, but that's not really what it is. Yeah. Uh, but it's just sort it's of that. Right, but yeah, it's, it's, you know, it's, it's kind of that feel of. You don't know what's going on outside, um, mm. and you have all these it's people. Kind of yeah, yeah. You have all these people that are thrown into this very, very small area, um, and so you can't really write about the world because the world is so small. So you have to really focus on the characters. And I really felt in that in that section of the book, your characters really stood out. It was very strong, very strongly written uh, characterization. Uh, as they had to deal with, um, you know, they, allegedly, supposedly, they're safe, and yet they're still right. dealing with this fact that, they, uh, you know, a, a different kind of danger has followed them in, you know, into this bunker, mm-hmm. and it's just the, 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 the danger of, of fear that resides inside the human heart. 
yeah. what did you know? What did you do in in sort of like creating that aspect of the novel? Like what you know? What research did you do, or or what what made you decide to write certain things in a certain way? You know, I I've, I had done research into these underground bunkers exactly like this and you know some of them are based on missiles missile silos some of them well a lot of them are actually mm-hmm. um and these things exi- exist they're real you could actually go buy one or buy a share in one in a lot of different states ranging from the dakotas to kansas um and they're very expensive um and this particular one was based off of a real missile silo um, in western Nebraska, where I live in Nebraska. Um, I don't live in western Nebraska, but it's based off of one in my state where um, people live. It's their home. Mm-hmm. And um, it was really fascinating to research, and it was interesting to kind of see, like, what you would need to make that actually work um, as far as just facilities so that you could have food and function and stuff. But then, you know, when you think about the dynamics of being somewhere like that for months and months um the way that that just human nature is you know it's like it's like watching a reality show when you you think of how Mm. it could play out and um you know there there were very dark moments in that time period of the story and actually when i first planned the story out i did not mean for that part of the story to be as long as it was even Mm. i Mm. thought it would be much shorter and then kind of get to the action outside of that. Um, but I found it so interesting that I ended up camping out there for a good portion of the book and really exploring what that was like. And I just had a ball. I hate to say it. I kind of giggled a little bit <laughs> a few times. <laughs> yeah, I know, I know that when they, when they finally, I know you're supposed to be like building the anticipation to, you know, when they finally like get out and then, the, you know, the, yep. the quote, the story can begin. Uh, but I was actually like disappointed because I'm like, no, I want to know, you know, I, I want to know more. I wanted more, more of this. Um, you know, I, I would have been just happy if you had just like spent the whole whole book there. That may have been too much, but um, it, you know, I would have loved to honestly. That yeah. would have been so fun to do one installment like that, and then the next installment of this stuff afterwards. I think that would have been mm-hmm. super fun. Yeah, it really, it really kind of like made the point that. Um, nowhere is safe, even the place you think is the safest. Yeah. And 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 it also highlighted that sort of the idea of um, um, the the human involvement, the human element, I guess. Um, that that, it, that there is, and I'm, I'm trying not to give away too much of of the book. Um, the the reasons behind the the outbreak. Um, is is not exactly all natural, um, right? And and so you you you're not you're still not getting away from that human element even as you, you know, it, wherever you're at, whether, whether you're inside or or outside. Um, so uh, the the apocalyptic genre is fairly uh, robust. There's not really a shortage of content from, um, you know, I think like major things like The Walking Dead may may sort of fit into that sure. that uh, oh, concept yeah. and that's that's pretty popular um you go down the aisles of of any bookstore and, you know i think the the ya genre has sort of like it married itself with sort of apocalyptic dystopia gotta save the world 
uh, thing. Mm-hmm. So, what what was your inspiration for this series, and then what do you think makes your book stand out from the rest? You know, I for me, I always have enjoyed the the apocalyptic genre. So anytime there's a movie, you know, like The Day After Tomorrow or, you know, all mm-hmm. these movies like this, I, I gravitate towards that stuff. And I, I think it's because, you know, life is so fast paced, so complicated. There's so much going on. There's always so much information and all this stuff. And, and I think the appeal of the apocalyptic genre is, is that everything gets boiled down to its bare essentials. And that is simply just surviving and protecting the people that you love Mm -hmm. and, you know, trying to get by. And I think that's the appeal, at least for me. Um, I, I too love shows like the walking dead and, um, you know, there's also a cult element in this and I've always been fascinated by cults. And so that's very interesting to me as well, especially because in the apocalyptic scenario, it, you know, people have to band together and find a way to trust in each other and try to survive together. So that seemed like a really natural thing to go together. Mm-hmm. Um, the the thing that I would say is different about this duology from, you know, much of the genre is that, yes, it's grim. Yes, there are some very dark moments, but there's always hope. There's always this mm-hmm. thought that if we can do this thing, and it's the mission that Winter's on in the first book, if we can do this thing and achieve this thing, it will get better. So we're not we're not stuck here hopelessly forever. We we can solve this. And so I think it's that um, thread of hope running through it, and that's really a big part of why the second installment is called a single light because it's based on this idea like. You know, if you have a hundred good people or if you have ten good people or just one good person, you know, while everything is falling apart and going dark around you, is the world worth saving? And Mm. that's the question of the whole book. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. It's almost like that conversation between God and and Abram about Sodom and Gomorrah. You know, know, will you save it for this many? Yes. Will you save it for this many? Yes. You know, and in in this case, just seeing uh, Winter's yeah, her, her power. There's an interesting, there's an interesting like uh, comparison for me that I saw between the first and second book, in that in the beginning of the first book, uh, Winter is sort of she's sort of holed up and kept away from the world um, mm-hmm. in the community of the cult that she's a part of, um, mm-hmm. and in the second book she's also holed up and kept away from the world by being in this bunker, and in both mm-hmm. cases. Uh, the expectation is sort of like if we stay here, it will get better. We're safe. Yeah, we're safe. Yeah. And in both cases, she finds out that that's not at all the case. And it's only yeah. by stepping out into the world and taking an active uh, role in yeah. in fixing these problems um, that that's the only you know that's the only hope there is. You know, it's not a passive hope. Of like, well, we'll just sit here and wait, and things will get better. Uh, but it really becomes an act of hope and becoming a participant in in advocating for and working toward, uh, and you know, making making that hope happen. Um, yeah, I think that you know, there's there's a lot to say in that about how regular people should approach the world as well. Can can you speak to that a little bit? Yeah, I think, you know, it's it's our natural 
it's our natural MO to want to stay within our comfort zones, stay within our communities, stay within kind of the safe confines where we feel comfortable because let's face it, you know, we, nobody likes to feel uncomfortable. So we gravitate towards, you know, those areas, whether they are communities or geographical locations or groups of friends or groups of people, whatever it is, um, because they, they inform our, our identity and we also feel safe. But, you know, the, the thing I really wanted to explore, especially from the, you know, cult, ex-cult member angle, was, yes, even when the world is falling apart around you and there's all you can see is terrible things or evil things, you, there are still beautiful moments of, of just beauty and grace and, um, you know, and what you put out there is what you will see reflected back. So mm-hmm. if you're expecting terrible, horrible, fearful things, yes, you'll see that. But if you're looking for beauty out in the world, you will find it. And it's mm-hmm. it's kind of the same idea of, you know, becoming the change that you want to see in the world. Yeah, and yeah sure. And I, I love that. So, mm-hmm. yeah. Mm-hmm. So n- now, that you've, now that you've written... Uh, two books in the apocalyptic genre and you have researched all of these doomsday scenarios and doomsday prepping <laughs> do you <I'm> feel <laughs> okay that, that was my question do you feel like you got a good handle on what you're going to do if there's ever a real outbreak well you know I, I joke all the time about this because you know I'm married to a farmer we mm-hmm. live in the country um, you know I've got my my husband and my oldest son are championship trap shooters, and every time I watch them compete, I always think to myself, "We're prepared for the zombie apocalypse." Because, <laughs> you know, I I can shoot too, but you know, I know for sure those two can pick off any zombies that mm-hmm. come over the the hill. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, yeah. When so. you're married to hunters and fishermen, and you know, we eat deer meat, you know, out on the farm, and I it's so funny as an author that's that's always forefront in my mind whenever I. I, you know, look around at our life. Yeah, you're scared. I've got, I've got a real shot at living through this. I am one of the characters. It's like, yeah, we, you know, we've got our own wells. You know, my, we've got gardens and. <laughs> mm-hmm. So okay, so, yeah. uh, so in the event of an apocalypse, this is your official, um, you know, this, this this is your official notice. In the event of an apocalypse, everyone heads out to Toscalese Farm. Yeah, she no, will, no. she will take care of all of us. But be you careful! Don't don't look like a zombie. Don't look like a zombie. You know, I don't, don't don't walk like a zombie. Don't look like a zombie. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so outside of outside of um, a single line, you always have multiple irons in the fire. I know, and one mm-hmm. of those, and I'm not sure how much of this you can talk about, um, mm-hmm. but your your books we we referenced them a little earlier, uh, Progeny and Firstborn. Um, mm-hmm. I don't know if you have any news regarding a progeny movie, but I do know that it's like possibly a thing. What can you tell us about that? Yeah, so the progeny and its sequel, Firstborn, are in development for television okay. um, with the same people actually who are also developing the line between in a single mm-hmm. light. <clears throat> and I'm really super excited. Um, I don't have a lot to be able to share about it at this time. Um, things are always kind of changing and moving and evolving with that stuff. And um, I've just kind of learned that, you know, I just need to kind of, you know, follow along with what's happening and offer, you know, answers to questions when they're asked. And Mm. um, I've been very lucky to be kept in the loop and included in the discussions. And we have such a great showrunner. 
um, for these these new books I'm so excited about. And we haven't announced it, so I don't know if I'm able to, but I'm really, really just loving what the showrunner is doing Mm -hmm. with the story and the questions um, that he's asking and and his his credits are just amazing. So I have really high hopes. Um, They're getting ready to go start pitching it to networks, this new one. Um, the progenies had some flux and change, so I'm kind of waiting to be able to talk about that some more. Mm-hmm. But it's it's super fun. That said, you know, I can't really sit around and wait for that stuff to happen. I have to right. keep writing because, you know, the stuff can take years. The progeny development has taken, you know, four years so far. Mm-hmm. So, you know, you kind of just keep doing your thing and you watch and see what happens. We've got a couple others that are in development as well, um, but have not been publicly announced. So I kind of just go by what what they announce and announce it when they do, because then it's out. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah. It, it, it's, you know, the the movie world is is um, its own animal, for sure. And, I, oh, yeah. you know, I, I feel like there's, there's always, like, the, the movie world loves to take ideas from the book world, and, and fortunately... Mm-hmm. Not all of them actually make it, um, yeah. but you know I definitely have high hopes for for your books. Um, I think you're such a I visual. I hope one of them makes it. Yeah, <laughs> such a such a visual uh, storyteller that that I think that it'd be great to see. Um, great, you know, great to see that in a visual medium uh, as well. Thank you. As well. So, all right. So this is here's the thing. What do you have okay. coming up next? You're always writing. I think. I think you're always. <laughs> you should always be writing anyway. Um, you have, you have done biblical narrative, you have done, um, man, how do you even categorize Progeny and Firstborn? Sort of like a, a supernatural, psychological thriller. Kind of speculative. Speculative, yeah. And, and now you've done. Young adult a little. Yeah. And now you've done this sort of apocalyptic genre. Uh, so you're, you've, you're, you're sort of branching out because I feel like you kind of you know made your name with uh you've done fantasy of course with uh with with Ted Decker um where do you see yourself going next or or even more (laughs) I guess more than that you can talk about in general but specifically what are you working on right now okay so Right now, we're getting ready to go out for contract. So um, this is a conversation my agent and I have been having um, for quite a while, and you know, over many installments. The because I've I've got a whole handful of ideas, and I want to do them all, and they range from um, historical to um, suspense thriller type stuff, and even some women's fiction. And I mm-hmm. love all these ideas. The two that we're going to lead with um, are are historical um, and historical thrillers. So we'll we'll lead with those. But that said, I've got you know most publishers want to don't want to buy just one one off book. They usually want a two or three or something. So um, I've got a short list of my favorite ideas that I just really really love these stories. So um, the time periods may be different. Some may happen now. Some may happen in the past. Um, I've really fallen in love with just trying to keep the really, really tight pacing because I, I love keeping readers reading up way too late at night. I just mm. think that's fun. And um, one of the historicals is uh, we're, we're looking for a home for it, and it's actually a World War II story. 
and um, I think it's it's not my usual genre, but I think it's a very important story to be told. Mm -hmm. So yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, we. We look forward to it uh, for sure, and I, I think I, I think I can speak for everyone who's listening to this to say that we look forward to it. Um, Thank you. But you, whichever direction you've gone, um, it has always been exciting. So uh, we trust you, you to uh, just tell us a good story. <laughs> to just tell a good story, regardless of where. Of where you go with it. Well, you have more confidence than I do because oh, I'm okay. down to write. I always think, you know, <laughs> how is this going to happen? Yeah. Um, so I, I have a few questions from the mailbag. Uh, something okay. I, I kind of uh, pitched it out um, to to the Life of Story Facebook page, and uh, I will do this for most of my podcasts. By the way, so if you're listening, uh, you can go to the Facebook page, and you might see a post that um, that has a has an ask asking for questions. So if you want to 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 get on that and get mentioned on the podcast, then that's a a great way of doing that but you have to ask good questions because i want to take the good ones um caitlin lutz wants to know how your writing schedule and your lifestyle has changed since you've entered farm life oh gosh well the, the farm life isn't the thing so much as the instant motherhood so mm-hmm. that's the real is there really a difference farm? oh yeah totally different i remember when i got married and i told my agent i said look i'm i'm acquiring four children <laughs> because i'm marrying a single dad and my agent said, oh, there go your deadlines. But, no, I've kept my deadlines. But I will say um, I was I was always a little behind on things like email and stuff like that before, and now I'm really behind. Mm-hmm. And so um, if, if you email me and ask me questions or, or send me a letter about a book, I, I respond myself. Um, but it might just take me a while, and my to-do list is long, and I feel scattered a lot. And um, I haven't quite figured out how to do it all. <laughs> mm, mm. Um, so that's kind of the main thing. The other thing is, you know, I just I have a real appreciation for the quiet of the country and um, just the freedom out there. And it's it's really beautiful. And that's coming from a city girl. And, mm. um, you know, this is a real Green Acres situation <laughs> for us. So. Uh, the only thing I wish is that there was a Trader Joe's closer by. That would really make my life. Yeah. yeah. Um, <laughs> I don't even, do they have any in Nebraska? I'm not sure. Yes, in Lincoln. So when I'm in Lincoln and I I come into the, the capital quite a bit, and, um, I still have a small home here, then I can go do some of that stuff. And mm. now that our oldest son just started college here, um, you know, I get to come into town and see him as well. So, yeah, very um, good. but yeah, it's definitely changed quite a lot. Mm-hmm. So, I eat right. a lot more deer meat than I used to. Yeah. Yeah. True. True. Yeah. Country <laughs> life. Catfish. Country life will do that to you for sure. You don't get that on any, uh, city no. menus. Uh, no. David, David Lee wants to know if you've ever had an, an idea for a story and then, and then found out that like, oh, that was already, a, you know, someone else has already written it. Um, kind of, yeah. I mean, but, you know, there, there's a, there's kind of an adage that there's no new ideas, really. And to some extent, that's true. You know, like a lot of stories I've written have already been done. Like people have written stories about Judas Iscariot. People Mm -hmm. have written about the Queen of Sheba. Um, A lot of the people I've written about the post-apocalyptic, you know, or the apocalyptic, I would say, um, 
you know, pandemic thing. That's been done very, very well by many people from Michael Crichton to Scott Sigler to, you know, gosh, there's so many. So they've all been done. But I think the challenge is finding a, a fresh spin mm. on it and, you know, just a new way to entertain readers who who love the genre. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, last question for you, um, and we have a lot. We have a lot of people uh, who listen to this podcast that are writers. They want to be, you know, they're writing that first book, or maybe they're writing their fifth or sixth book. Um, so, so talking about the the art of story is really important to me. Um, yeah. What advice would you give people who are trying to sort of break into the the publishing industry? For novel writing For novel writing, yes. Yeah. This is something I could talk all day about. Um, and actually, um, I, I am forming a writer's uh, retreat and conference workshop with um, Nicole Bart and Kimberly Stewart. So mm-hmm. we will have more information coming out about this. But we are going to be actually literally talking all day about it <laughs> next June in uh, South Dakota. So um, anybody who's interested in that can, can write in to me and I can put you on our mailing list for that. But... For new writers, I would say, um, you know, a couple really important things. Get the story done. You know, you'd be amazed how many people write to me and say, I've got a great idea. How do I get an editor? I've got, you know, I started it. How do I find an agent? And it's like, you can't get an editor or an agent or any of that stuff until you finish the book. And the book is edited and polished and really good. So you have to get to the end. And then don't worry about that other stuff until you're your book is finished and it's the best that you can make it. Mm-hmm. I would also say you need to really study up on a story, um, story arcs and story structure. And there's a lot of great books that can help you with that. Everything from Donald Moss's writing the breakout novel to Michael Hake's three act structure or, um, save the cat. Um, there's one specifically for novelist called save the cat, Writes the novel. That's a great resource. Um, because the reason why that's so important, I mean, and I think it's very, I think it's very tempting to say, no, I'm going to, I'm going to do my structure the way I want to do it, which is fine. But when readers come to novels, and when they come to novels in specific genres that they enjoy, they are looking for something. They, they feel comfortable with certain kinds of mm. structure, and so they are, they're paying money to to go escape from this reality for a while, just as we would with a movie or something. And you need to give them what they came to that book and that genre for. So make good on that promise and deliver that to them, and they will become a fan and continue to read your book. Yeah, yeah, I think that's really good advice. That's really good advice. I like that, that sort of idea of, like, <clears throat> I think sometimes, and, in in, you know, well, this is my art, I can do what I want with it, um, and that's true, but that doesn't mean that then that people will read it. Um, you right, know, you know? exactly. But, so there is this sense of, like, who am I writing for and what are the expectations with that? And how can I tell my unique story inside of those expectations? How, exactly. can, I, how can I use this structure uh, to my advantage? Uh, because if you throw everything out the window, then, you, you know... Exactly. You're... Because if you're writing it just for yourself and you want to to do it a specific way, then 
that is wonderful and that's beautiful and that's exactly what you should do. And I genuinely believe we're all creative beings. We were all meant to express creativity. It's in our, our DNA. We're created that way. Um, but if you want to sell it, then the focus has to be on the the consumer. It has mm-hmm. to be, you know, about being of service to the person who's going to pick up that story and go along for the ride. Yeah, yeah. Well, Tosca, I want to thank you so much for uh, taking the time out of your day to be on the podcast. It has oh, been great so to talk with you. So it, I know it was so you know it's it's been so long and it is. I don't know. I'm excited. I'm just giddy over here. Um, getting to talk with you. You can talk to everyone. It's it's a great way of um, of uh, you know getting to talk with all of my favorite people. So thank you so much. Uh, thank you and so much. We will, you gotta get that next book out. We'll do it again. We won't we won't wait five, right. five however long it was years between. Yeah, let's not wait that many yeah. Hey, thanks for listening in. If you want to hear more, check the links in the post below or visit lifeisstory.com to see all the latest reviews, interviews, and giveaways.